found in Matthew chapter 13, verses 24 to 30, where he's going to tell one of his stories about seeds. And then we'll move down to verses 36 to 43, where he explains it. So let's all stand out of respect for our Heavenly Father who made us and loved us and gave us this, his word. Beginning with verse 24. Jesus put a parable before them saying, the kingdom of heaven may be prepared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also, and the servants of the master of the house came to him and said, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? And he said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servants said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, No lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. Now stop just a minute. You see the three main features of the story that Jesus told. One, the, the work of the farmer Uh, to sow some good seed in this world. Then there is the work of an enemy who comes along and sows some counter sinister weed right among the good seed that the farmer seeds, sows. And then there is this time of having to wait where there's some struggle where these things are growing together, but a very certain future. Do Do you see that? Okay, that brings us to the explanation beginning in verse 36. Then Jesus left the crowds and went into the house. And his disciples came to him saying, explain to us this parable of the weeds, of the fields. He answered, the one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed is the sons and daughters of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into a fiery furnace. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. But then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And this is the word of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Uh, Those of you who are here early, you saw that my really good friend, Jamie Rankin, who teaches at Princeton University, and we've been friends for 43 years. It's it's a beautiful thing. He's been with us this past week. Uh, Jamie and my wife, Chris, share this uh, wonderful similar gift, Uh, and I've seen it so often. They they walk into a house or into a room that really is a fixer-upper, and they 
look at it and see what it might become if only some work is done. There's some modifications and, and improvements. So when they walk into a room or a house, they, they don't just see it as it is in the moment. They see how it might become. I mean, I've seen this in both of our homes, uh, walking in and seeing what needs to be fixed up, devising a plan to fix it up, getting it done, and then making something beautiful out of it. I, I love it. Uh, this is a big thing in our, in our culture. If you ever watch HGTV, they love to have these makeovers and show you how it's done. So I found a lot of pictures about so that you could envision what I'm talking about today. I've just put one of these makeover projects in front of you. Here's the home. Can you tell it needs a little work? Anybody see that? But look at what it becomes after someone who has some of those gifts gets into that thing and changes it. That is a wow sort of a thing. Now, I see this, this gift of restoring things, of taking something that's broken and, and fixing it, making it good and beautiful, needing work to become something that actually works. It helps us to see a lot of what God himself is like. I tell you about this story so often, but it began in Genesis 1 when God created all that is it, was, it brought order out of chaos, and it brought beauty into this world. And he said it's very good at the end. God loves to do that. But then, as you know, people who were made in God's image to care for everything, people actually walked away from God, and it has just ruined everything. So that our whole world is, is a fixer-upper. And yet, what, what we see is that God loves to take what is broken and, and what has become ashes and turn those things into beauty, and that God himself has a plan to do it. And he sent the Lord Jesus into this world to give his life, uh, to take care of, of the things that have gone wrong in our lives, and to begin a work, to begin a work of making everything new. And what we see in so many of the stories that Jesus tells is how it is that he begins in his work in us, that he comes into our lives when we receive him, and he begins a work in us. And even as he does us, he sends us into various places in this world so that our lives are not only being remade, but we become his ambassadors, his, his kind of subcontractors <laughs> of remaking everything in this world. When you come to Matthew chapter 13, you see, and if you weren't here last week, these terrible stories that Jesus uses about seeds have had a great influence in my own life, my own thinking about how God works in my life, my thought about how God is supposed to work in a church. We see these stories in which he, he uses seeds as a metaphor for what God is doing. We saw one of them last week, and today we come to the second one. And it's so often called uh, the parable of the wheat and weeds. Do you notice I gave this sermon the title, Living with the Weeds? Because that's a part of what our life is like, so make note of it. So let's listen carefully, because Jesus said, let the ones who have ears to hear, hear what I'm saying. So are you ready to hear? Jesus started his stories almost always with the very place that I've begun this sermon, a vision. And this is what he wants us to know, that Jesus is building a comprehensive and beautiful kingdom in this world. You see it with this phrase in almost all of these stories here in verse 24, the kingdom of heaven is like. Do you see that? Now, to understand that, for centuries before Jesus even came, 
his own people, the people of Israel, had been waiting for what they called the kingdom of God to come. And if you look in Matthew, they call it the kingdom of heaven. And the reason for this is that so many of the Jewish people so revered the name of God, they didn't want that sacred name to come across their lips or in their writing into a public place. So sometimes they called it the kingdom of heaven. And that's the way it's recorded in in the gospel of, of Matthew as well. But it's referring to the same thing. They knew that all of their prophecies, places like the book of Isaiah and many other places, were pointing to a time in which into this world where there are so many things where other kingdoms are messing things up, that the kingdom of God was going to come and make things right. And they longed for it. They prayed for it. They, they watched for it. Because when Jesus first spoke this parable, life for his own people was very, very hard. They were under the oppressive regime, the Roman people, uh, who kept them in poverty, who, who asked them for, to pay exorbitant taxes. They had no political freedom. They had no economic freedom. They had no social freedom. I mean, they wanted to be set free. They prayed that God's kingdom would come and bring this kind of liberation for them. And by that, they, they thought this Messiah, who was supposed to be born into this world through a virgin, like in Isaiah chapter 7, that this Messiah, they, they thought what he would really do is just set them as a people of God and people of Israel free from Rome. Now, there were a lot of fake messiahs around the time of Jesus. There were a lot of people who came and say, you know what our prophecies are pointing to? I'm it. Come and follow me. But they were all bogus. They said, I'm going to make things here great again. But they were all con men. And they'd promised so much, but they'd always failed. But then comes Jesus. Okay. Are you with me here? Then comes Jesus, and he begins doing miracles. And not just a few miracles, but a lot of miracles. And one of the things you may not see or may not know when you read about the miracles of Jesus is that the miracles he did specifically pointed to what Messiah was supposed to do. The things that were prophesied, all these miracles, they were just screaming out, he's the one. And, uh, and, and Jesus would start all of his sermons this way. When I am here, the kingdom of God is among you. And the kingdom of God is like. So you can imagine what for many of the people must have been kind of an excitement. Oh man, life is tough. There are all these problems in my life and in my family and in this world. But Messiah is supposed to come. Maybe he's it. They were hoping he would do it. But then he would tell these stories that showed that what their dream was of what Messiah would do was misguided. I've written for you just two of the basic ways they were misguided, just so you can think about it, because sometimes I think we're misguided too. Number one, their dream was too small. Their dream of what God had come to do was too, too small because they thought that the kingdom of God would only be for them and for their nation. They thought the only thing God was going to do is send a Messiah to set them free from a foreign power. And then Jesus told all these stories that indicated it would be bigger and more comprehensive than anything they could, they could imagine. Uh, and, and then two, they were misguided because their timetable was too hasty they thought this kingdom of God would come when the Messiah was born. It would come in its fullness quickly and immediately. And Jesus kept telling these stories, which indicated that the work of God would be gradually 
and there was a whole lot of work to be done. So through his stories, Jesus let them, and I think he lets us know this, when you bring Jesus into your life and God's work begins to happen in our lives, that the problems in your life and in this world are much deeper than you and I often think they are. For them, the problems aren't just political. It's not just Rome. The reason why so much is wrong, and if you are walking through some really challenging times in your life right now, Jesus would say, to understand what's going on, you have to realize this, that all of reality, everything that was made through me, has become broken since people left God out of their lives. He, he keeps saying that something is wrong at the very roots of all that is in creation. Uh, sin entered the world uh, through human beings, and what we did has affected everything that is made. Or if I could use this idea, it's like a cancer. In all of creation, Jesus will indicate it is like a cancer that is eating away from the inside uh, uh, to the out of everything that I have made. But, Jesus is declaring, I have come to deal with it all. I have come to bring the kingdom of God into this world. You see, in saying that, he points out to us that so often when we come to church, and I don't know what brought you here today, and so many times it's because we're having a problem maybe in our marriage or with our parents or parents with your children or with our work or with our health that we think the one thing that God, we want God to do is just to take care of that. And Jesus says, I'm going to take care of that. I've come for those things. But I want you to see, to begin with, you've got to see the totality of what I'm doing. I have come to deal with everything. He wants us to envision a world. So I've jotted some things down here. I want you to imagine a world, Jesus says, that doesn't have any sorrow, that has no greed, that has no poverty, that has no children homeless here in Pasadena. I want you to imagine a world in which there's no hatred, no crime, no violence, no sickness, no injustice, no racism, no guilt or shame, no family brokenness, no loneliness. Jesus says, think of everything. Can you imagine it? That's what I've come to bring. Are you with me here? This vision that Jesus keeps setting in front of us and that I try to set in front of you with each one of these stories from Jesus is so magnificent that the sinless Son of God was willing to enter into the sinful world, die in our place, bear our sins upon himself intentionally to do so, to establish the kingdom of God of God in your life and in this world. That's, that's the dream. Have I, have I said this so that it, it's understandable? I don't want you to miss it. But how? Now, this particular, this particular parable gives us a part of the method, the key to it. The method is this. This kingdom grows as God plants his people in places in this world, in local neighborhoods in this world. So that he says in verse 38, the field in which God is going to do a work is the world. And the good seed stands for the people of the kingdom. 
All right, who are these people of the kingdom? Who, who are the, are you with me here? I've got, uh, balcony folks. Who are these people of the kingdom? <laughs> That's what we got to look at. So last week in the first seed parable, verses 3 through 9 of chapter 13, Jesus used the word seed in a different way from the way he does it here. He, he used the seed as being the gospel that pointed to him. He said, God is just throwing his seed because he loves the world to everyone that they'll receive it. And, and when you and I become that soil that receive Jesus, receive the gospel, he makes us alive to him and begins a work in us. Now he sort of changes that idea of a seed. When he makes you and me alive, he makes us a child of God, a child of the kingdom. And now he tells us that even as he's doing his work in us, he plants us in all sorts of places in this world. And if, if I'm going to use this makeover theme. Uh, he plants us as his contractors to go out and do his work <laughs> until it is all completed and it is all done. It's so much like what Jesus said in the first message in the series, Matthew 5, 13 to 16. He turns us into his salt sent out into this world that is deteriorating. He sends you and turns you and me into light sent out into a world that is so dark. Jesus tells us that the main way, it's amazing to me, that he is going to further his comprehensive work in this world is he's going to come into our lives and then send us out to do his work in a world that he loves. Now, when you read the rest of the New Testament, he tells us some other things, that when you and I receive the seed of the gospel into our lives, he also places his Holy Spirit within us. We are indwelt and empowered by the Holy Spirit so that when we go out into all those challenges that you and I face in this world, we don't go alone. And, and he calls us, you can read it in the rest of the New Testament too, number one, to be his witness through our words. You are my witnesses, Jesus said in Acts 1. And number two, to be his witnesses through our lives. People need to see the changes that he has brought about in us and actually that he has made us love them the way that God loves us. Even while they might feel like enemies at the time, they won't be that anymore because we're going to see God's image in them. So all I want to tell you, brothers and sisters, if, if I've said this well, what a calling we have. You and I are Christ's ambassadors Wherever he plants us in this world, I'll tell you, this gives meaning to your life wherever you go this week. Because sometimes where he plants us is not where we would have chosen. You might be in a job right now. I, I don't want to be in this job. Why am I here? You might be in a school right now you don't want to be in. You might not even have a job and say, why don't I have that? But I'm just telling you, wherever you go this week is not by chance. In that place, for some reason, God has planted you there with the Holy Spirit inside of you, and every person he will bring across your path is not a random encounter. It is a divine appointment. And by the way we treat people and speak to people, we are supposed to be the ones who further the kingdom of God. This is how I want you to view yourself every day of your life Whatever you do, wherever you go, it is not by chance that you are where you are. You may not have any idea why you're supposed to do what you're doing now, but Jesus really in this parable is saying, today you've got to know 
that you are my planted seed to do my work in that part of a world that I love. So be faithful. Bear fruit. Now, when you and I go out with the Spirit of God in us, we often think it's got to happen fast. God's going to do things fast. But I need to, the parable lets us know there's a reality that we've got to come to grips with. God builds his kingdom surely. But it's more slowly than we want him to. Any, anybody agree? <laughs> Look, I'll, I'm going to try to convince you of it. So verse 30. Let the wheat and weeds grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will. Now, now to see what Jesus is getting at here. First century Jewish people thought that when Messiah came, in an instant, he would overturn everything that's wrong. He would make everything right. You know, they didn't understand the comprehensiveness of the effects of sin in our world. And they didn't understand the comprehensiveness of the work of God to make everything right. That they didn't know that in the kingdom of God, Jesus would enter into everything in this world that is wrong so that he would make everything right. And even when I think about my own life, I hate to confess this to you, uh, I as a human being don't seem to fix very fast. I got to tell you, as your pastor, you don't fix very fast either. So, you can imagine what they thought. Messiah is supposed to come. Maybe Jesus is the Messiah. You've been here a couple of years, Jesus. Uh, still, look, there are tax collectors sitting at our gates. What are they doing here? There are still these awful Romans and the soldiers who are here. There are Samaritans you haven't driven out of our borders. We don't want them here. Maybe you need our help. And in the story, he says, you want us to go out and get all the weeds out of here and throw them away and do that judging of them. And Jesus says, no. Uh, I'm going to do my work, but it's, it's, it's going to be more like a farmer. And a farmer doesn't sow a seed one day and reap it that evening, right? <laughs> it's a great illustration. So on one side, the kingdom of God has come into this world with the coming of Jesus. The kingdom of God, the power of God can come into your life forgive you of your past and begin his work in you. All of that is already here, but the completion of that has not yet arrived. So right now, you and I live in this sort of in-between time. God's seed has been planted or made available to be planted in our lives and in the world. He sends us out, but his work isn't done yet. Final harvest time hasn't come. So I've thought about this. This is how this reality affects our lives each day when we get up. Every day we have to see ourselves as his seed planted to do his work. So we go out to be, one, active in his work as witnesses, but two, patient until God's work is done. But I'm telling you, isn't it hard to keep those two things together? <laughs> I find that it is. We are to be on one side prayer-filled, diligent about giving witness to Jesus, going out in Jesus' name, entering into wrongs, praying that we'd see God's miraculous work happen, dealing with injustices. We are to bring hope and healing to the people around us. We want to see the kingdom of God at work. On the other side, we've got to wait upon the Lord. I don't know about you. Sometimes I get frustrated. Anybody get frustrated? 
So, sometimes things go so slowly in my own sanctification, and I think, Lord, why is it taking me? So I'm a pastor. I should be completely perfected by now. <laughs> and, and then I look out at you. I won't tell you what I always, I always think. <laughs> I, I wanted to give an illustration of all this, but it really is true of every part of our lives, every day of, that we live. I mean, if we're honest, we will say, why is my own life with God growing so slowly? Why is it still marked by so much temptation and failure? I mean, we feel that when we come to church. Why, when we receive communion, do we still have some of those same sins that we confessed the last time? Why, when, and then we come into our families, and our children think, why does it take my parents so long to become the kind of people I think they should be? And the parents are thinking the same thing about your children. Why aren't they ever going to get better? And we go out into the work and, and say, why is this world so messed up? Why is there still so much sexual immorality and racism out in this world? I mean, we just, it's frustrating. And Jesus says, don't be frustrated. I am at work. And what I want you to simply be is faithful to grow yourself and to pass on there is hope for anyone who will receive me into their lives. We have to be active in the work of Jesus while the work is sometimes slower than we want it to be. God knows what he is doing. Uh, we're going to take this up again in another seed parable later. But let me today, if you ever feel that time thinking, why is it so slow? Why is life so hard? That I want you to have this prayer that David prayed in Psalm 27. I love it. I come back to it all the time. I want you to have it. I'll put it here in front of you so that you can see it and meditate on it. King David, writing again in Psalm 27 about all the difficulties that were there, said this, I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. But then you can almost see him turning to himself. Self- I see him praying. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. Take heart. And wait for the Lord. I pray that that will minister to you this week. Before we have communion, there's one more point I've just got to make you aware of from this parable. And that is, I call it the deception. Something you've got to be aware of in this world until God finishes his work. And I put it, be warned. Uh, there is an enemy who sows fake seed among the real in this world. You heard it when I read the story, verses 25 and 26. While everyone was sleeping, this was after the good seed was planted, an enemy sowed seeds among the wheat when the wheat sprouted, not till then, and formed heads. Then the weeds also appeared. Now, this is something you may not know. The kind of weeds Jesus talked about were called zinzanios. Um, we, I think, call it bearded darnel. I looked it up. I'll put a picture of it. Of, of, it's, it it's quite prevalent in Israel that when weed is planted, here's a picture of the first one. You see it just sort of grows there together. And what zinzanios or bearded darnel is, is a degenerate form of wheat. Uh, it carries a fungus that often poisons what's around it, but the, but the most sinister part of it is as it is growing, it looks just like the wheat. Uh, it's not until it grows up and comes to maturity that the real wheat starts getting the grain and the people discover, ah, oh, there's something here among the wheat. They were deceivers all the time, stealing the nutrients, stealing the moisture away from the real wheat, stunning its growth. 
I'll tell you, for the farmers in Israel, it was sinister stuff. I, I read this and I just thought, Jesus, what an illustration. You use good, good illustrations. I'll show you a picture of it. Do you have the second picture? That's the way it looks. Do you see the, the Zanzanias? Do you see the bar, bearded Darnell among the real wheat? Um, what Jesus is saying here is that even though he has brought the kingdom of God into this world, the kingdom of God is not complete and there are still other kingdoms in this world and we have to be aware of that. They will fight against God's kingdom. They don't want the ways of God to succeed. The specific kingdom that he speaks about here is the kingdom of the devil. And the particular thing he draws our attention to is how the evil one, the devil, loves to deceive people. So, so that when God sends you out into some place to represent him, there will be enemies who will oppose what you and I are doing and the witness that we give, but sometimes what they say will sound a lot like good things. We'll, we'll tell you a better way to really find your life rather than that because, you know, this Christian way means you have to give up things you really want to have. They're, they're, they're too intolerant. Come our way. They undermine everything that you are saying. What, what he calls you to do in the midst of those times is to be faithful to him, Sometimes you'll just have this big temptation. You've got to get rid of all those weeds. <laughs> but, the, but Jesus in the story, you see, we're not to be the ones who go out and get rid of the weeds. We're, we're not the ones who, who, who will burn up the weeds. If we try to make that our main focus, just trying to get rid of all the weeds around us will do more damage than good. You see, it? if you do that, you're going to get rid of some of the wheat and some of those people who might actually become wheat by doing it, no, that's not supposed to be your main focus. Now, this is a tricky thing to know how to do because he's telling us that we're, our main goal is not to be the judges of people or the ones who bring the punishment to people. And at the same time, you know, we've got to make judgments, right? Isn't it hard to walk through that whole thing? We've got to look and say, yeah, this is not the way God would have us to live. That's making a judgment, right, when you do that. And yet our main goal is not to be the judges because that is God's role. Sometimes I wonder, how do I actually do this? The main way is always that we are to be authentic witnesses as our main focus. That we go and we say, the one who changes a life is Jesus. And somehow our lives have to show to a world that living God's way, whether than any way the world writes about, is really better. And, and, and it, it means that you and I have to be people who are growing to reflect this whole series I did last fall, The Fruit of the Spirit, that I called Synced. So what are people, well, the people should see in us that authenticates that the way of Jesus is better than the way that the world is offering is that we will people, be people who love others and not just criticize. And the Holy Spirit has to produce us, that in us. We have to be people who have peace, even, even when hard times come. Sometimes the hard times God gives us, I know, are given to us so that the world can see how you can trust in God and be at peace even while all is not going well. The fruit of the Spirit is joy. I won't go through it all. But the prayer is, Father, help me to continue to grow even while you've surrounded me by weeds. So I called it living among the weeds. And I think God has the power to transform weeds into wheat. I think we're all witnesses of that because <laughs> I think he's doing that in so many of our lives. But our main goal, when our main goal just comes to criticize and judge what's out in the world, we've, we've gotten off kilter. God is the one to do that. And if you don't believe me, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 12. 
Paul said, my main goal is to be a witness. What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside. Uh, so I feel like, you know, these uh, uh, early Jewish Christians thought, we've got to do the job. God's not doing it well enough. You want us to go get rid of all the weeds? And Jesus says, no, 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 that's not your job. It's, it's God's. So our main focus is never to get rid of the weeds, but to give witness to the weeds. Never to condemn people, but to enter into people's lives and have our lives give witness to the difference that Christ makes. That's our main role. Now, one more thing. Oh, I speak too long, but I'll, briefly. I think this parable has something to say to a church, too. Do you think? Because Jesus, in the story itself, says that there are going to be weeds planted right among the wheat. Now, the frightening thing is this. Does that mean that it's possible that there are people who look very much like wheat growing among us here? And makes us ask the question, am I one of those? Am I really wheat or weeds? Now, this week I posted something about that on social media. And many of you have written to me about this. So I've, I've had to write a lot of responses back, sometimes personally, sometimes more broadly, um, saying, does that mean in a church when people are teaching error, you never correct it. When people are walking away from God, you just let them walk away from God and do whatever they want, uh, go their own way. And, and never, of course, uh, try to get rid of all the weeds. And the response to this is this. Whatever G Jesus meant by, by uh, us not being the ones who are doing the weeding, he does not mean, church folks, that you and I do not engage in church discipline. A part of why he gives us to one another is so that we will correct one another and hold one another accountable that whenever we hear error being taught, we'll enter into that and say, no, that isn't consistent with God's word. Whenever we see a brother or sister walking away from the Lord, that we will actually love that person enough to go and say, no, I don't think that's the way that God would have you to live. And yet it's not in a way, and the most important thing in this, it is not in a way that we try to get rid of the weeds. No, our main goal is to give growth to the wheat. And if, God is, if there are some weeds that have been planted here to give witness by our lives to the authenticity and the reality of the gospel in such a way that if people have sort of been playing the game in church, haven't really surrendered their lives to the Lord, they say, it is my time to say, I am yours, I am your follower, and allow God's transformative work to happen. Now, I think the way that you can tell the difference between the one who's trying to be the one weeding people out and the one who's engaging in church discipline is seen in Galatians 6, one through four, that if we see someone walking away from the Lord, it's a beautiful text I'd encourage you to read. If you see people walking away, those of you who are now walking with the Lord, those who are spiritual, he puts it, you must go to that person. But when you go to that person, you must go with humility because he says you must beware of where you stand lest you fall. Because I'm telling you, all of us are still susceptible, right? We're still pieces of work. So what is happening with our brothers and sisters could happen to us. We cannot go with arrogance or pride. We must go with humility. And the goal is the biggest thing. When we go to our brother and sister in church, it is never to weed them out. And the word that is, Paul uses in Galatians 6, it is to restore them gently so that they might grow 
again. Because the goal of us as a church is not to weed out the weeds. Our goal is to nurture and foster healthy wheat. We want you to grow so that you can go and give witness to Jesus. Now, we need to go to communion. Um, The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 11 said that when we go to communion, before we go, we should examine ourselves. So I thought we should examine ourselves before we go to communion uh, in the light of of this parable in Matthew 13 with, with the question, are you wheat or weeds? Are you wheat or weeds? And I put together four questions, and I'll I'll go through them quickly with you here. We'll have then a short time for you to pray about that. The first question in the light of this is, is I want you to take this word and allow it to work in your heart. I go back to last week's message. Are you sure that you have received Jesus into your life? Have you confessed your sin to God? Have you asked him for forgiveness? Have you received Jesus as the Savior and King of your life? Make sure of that today. I want there to be no doubt in any of our minds that our lives have been given to him by faith so that you have places like Acts 3.19 and Acts 16.31. So repent and turn to God so that your sins might be wiped out. What a great phrase. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. Second question, if you have, are you deeply grateful that it was while you were a sinner that Christ died for you? Because if you are, you'd never have that more arrogant way of looking down on anybody. You look at every human being through the eyes of Jesus, somebody that Jesus died for, and his death is sufficient for their sins. That's how we'll see people. Um, One of the points of using seeds is that seeds have to be planted by somebody else. So God was the one who had to make us alive. We're recipients of his mercy and grace, amen? And it should turn us into a humble group of people. If you find yourself looking down on another group because they are, instead of saying, Lord, what you've done in my life, you can do for them, if only. If you find that former... Beware. Question three. If you've come today and you still see areas that are not what they should be, as I'm sure each of us can, do you have a longing to be set free from sin? Do you long for that? I'll tell you, that very longing is almost sure evidence that the Holy Spirit is convicting you. I want to encourage you, if you've come and said, I failed yet again, Pastor, but I don't want it to stay there. I want to be that... As much as you wish that you didn't have to, that is, that is real evidence that God is at work within you. Be encouraged. So this great, great passage, 1 John 1, 8 and 9. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful. He is just. He will forgive our sins. He will cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Then question four. This is the hardest one, I think. Are you seeing any evidence of growth in godliness in your life? 
I'm not talking about perfection. I'm talking like, like Paul said to young Timothy, let people see that you're making progress. Are you seeing evidence of growth? What kind of growth? Where do I see it, Pastor? One of the surest ways is this word, which is like food. When you find a real hungering for God's word and a real thrill when this word is spoken to you or when you read it, it's almost certain that there is a life within you, especially when you find a desire, a growing desire to obey what this word says. Another very sure sign uh, is when you have a growing love of people whom before you would never have loved. You know, the, the kind of people you would have only criticized or stayed away from, suddenly you start looking and saying, God must be alive in my life. And I'll just give you one such powerful verse. 1 John 3.10. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. How? All who do not seek to do what is right are not God's children, nor are those who do not love their brothers and sisters. 